uh, in this summer, what we've been doing, uh, we took a break from the book of Acts. We're going to get back to that now next week. Uh, but we've been walking through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And I don't know about you, I actually have heard from some of you, that there have been times where the passage we happened to be in for that week was incredibly timely and relevant for you. I have found that, our family has found that over and over again as we've walked through Philippians. So I'm grateful uh, that God led us to this book uh, for this period of time, and I'm grateful that we get to get jumped back into Acts now next week as well. But today, um, well, you might remember that this letter started out with Paul's expression of his thankfulness for and love for and commitment to pray for these people that he saw as partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So church in Philippi that Paul had helped to plant and start, and they have continued to partner with him in various ways, even though now he's imprisoned far away in Rome. And he's writing this letter to them to encourage them to let them know of his thankfulness for their continued partnership and his commitment to pray for them. The big idea we said of the letter is that even in the face of suffering and opposition, rejoice in the Lord and press on in gospel growth as God works in us for his glory. That's the themes we've seen really throughout the book. Paul is a great example for us. And last week, we looked at chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. And the title of my message was this, The Peace of God in the Midst of Conflict and Anxiety. And if you were not here last week and you've ever dealt with conflict and anxiety or anticipate dealing with conflict or anxiety at some point and didn't catch that message, I would encourage you to go back onto the website or YouTube and and, and check that out. But last week, the peace of God in the midst of conflict and anxiety. This week, the provision of God for our good and His glory. The provision of God for our good and His glory. Let me ask you a question. Anybody in here have everything you need plus more? Think about that. Anyone in here sleep in a house last night, like on a bed, right? Anyone in here have a closet full of clothing uh, to choose from this morning when you got dressed? Anybody brush your teeth with clean running water this morning that just like came out of a faucet and went down a drain, right? That's what a lot of us experienced, I think, this morning. Most of you drove here in a vehicle this morning. Most of us, I think, are looking forward to lunch after this. And we're not even wondering, like, am I going to be able to eat? Like, we know it. We're going to eat. We ate breakfast. We're going to eat lunch. We have everything we need plus more, right? One more question. This is a question that Paul asked the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? That's a good question, isn't it? So we have everything we need plus more. And the question is, what do you have that you did not receive? Like it, it's been given to you. There is a provider who has given everything that we have to us. Here's the big idea for today's message. God provides for our every need and strengthens us to be content for our good and his glory. God provides for our every need and strengthens us to be content for our good and I could say the good of others and his glory. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up. We have the words on the screen as well, but if you have a Bible, if you don't, by the way, have a Bible, 
we want you to have one, and so we'll get you one. Come and talk to me afterwards, and we'll just get you a Bible. But in the Bible, we're going to read today the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 through the end, which is verse 23. If you're able to, would you stand as we read the Word of God? First, we'll pray, Father, this is a privilege again for us to be gathered, for us to have your word that your Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write every word of. We believe this is the very word of God. And so we want to be people who don't just kind of like come to it uh, casually or occasionally, but we want to be people who are formed and molded by your word, that it would affect how we think and how we live and what we feel. And so God, through my weak attempt at preaching, would you accomplish that now by your Holy Spirit for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God's word, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. You can be seated. Before we jump into the meat of this, I'm actually just going to begin with the end right there. So, so he ends with just this kind of relatively standard greeting for Paul in one of his letters. He ends with a greeting. That's not normally how we write a letter. We begin with a greeting and end with who it's from. Here, it began with who it's from and it ends with a greeting, right? And Paul is just acknowledging that even though believers, by God's grace, are now spread all over that part of the world, right? This small group of people starting in the city of Jerusalem has now expanded to disciples having been made all over the place. Paul now all the way over in Rome writing to the church in Philippi, yet the thing that they have in common is their family still and their saints, right? So sainthood is not something that like the church votes on or whatever and gives to you. Sainthood is something that you receive upon receiving the Holy Spirit, right? So, so, so we are sanctified uh, and made holy uh, and, and kind of, so, okay, so, so, so he's calling them saints and he calls them brothers. He recognizes that they are in Christ Jesus now family. And so he just says, like, say hi to each other, 
right? On Sunday afternoons, my custom is that I give my parents a call. My parents live up in Minnesota, and now they live close to some of my siblings. And so sometimes when I call my parents on a Sunday afternoon, they're hanging out with some of my siblings. And I usually end that conversation then with, hey, say hi to Mike and his family, right? We do that, don't we? Like say, say hi to so-and-so. That's how Paul ends the letter. Just say hi to our family uh, that's there and the family that's here, even people from Caesar's household, probably some, some servants of Caesar, right, that, that have now come to faith in Christ. Paul has gotten to know them in some way. And so, hey, we're, we're all one family. We're living in different places, different kinds of backgrounds, but just greet each other. We all need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with our spirit. So that's the end of the letter, just kind of a standard greeting. Now let's jump back up to verse 10 and spend our time walking uh, through verses 10 all the way down through verse 20 now. Verse 10, we see a word that has been repeated throughout the book. Remember in verse 4, well, in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1, when Pastor Nick was preaching on Philippians 3, 1 through 11, remember what it said there, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, right? And then we got to last week, chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice. And that's not the only times that word has shown up. And here again in verse 10, here's the word, right? I rejoiced in the Lord, okay? So Paul, again, is rejoicing. Why is he rejoicing? Remember that his situation's not ideal. He's imprisoned there in Rome, yet he's rejoicing in the Lord. And what this time is causing Paul to rejoice? I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So remember, we're just reading a letter, and and because they already know the situation, Paul didn't have to write to them about the situation, and we don't totally know the situation because we're separated by hundreds of years and, and, and lots of miles, and we weren't there. So what we do know, what we can gather from what it says here and from what we saw in chapter 1, is that there's been this ongoing partnership between the church in Philippi and the Apostle Paul wherever he happens to be. And the reason that Paul is rejoicing right now, even though he's imprisoned, He's rejoicing because he knows that people care about him. Isn't it good to know? Like, don't you, don't you, isn't it make you happy when you find out that people care about you? Right? That's all Paul is saying. Uh, Logistically, something didn't work out. So, like, they were trying to get him something, it seems like, but they had no opportunity. So we don't know all of the circumstances, what happened. But what we know is the church in Philippi has had an ongoing relationship with Paul, providing for his needs, and he's thankful, and it causes him to rejoice in the Lord. So that's what we see in verse 10. Now, in this section that I read today, our memory verse is going to be uh, verse, is it 11? No, uh, verse, yeah, 11. But here in this passage, the, uh, one of the most uh, recognizable verses in all the Bible is Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Let's, let's look at that here for a moment, then we're going to go back. Philippians 4, 13 just says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You can get that printed on a t-shirt. You can, get that, you can get that in all sorts of different formats, right? 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's a great verse that is unfortunately often taken out of context. I want to get this mug someday. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Uh, um, wouldn't that be a good mug? Um, that's, what, that's what often gets done with Philippians 4.13. Like, I want to do something, and it's like this self-esteem builder verse that tells me I can do whatever I want. Right? That, that's a, like, it's a self-esteem builder. That's how a lot of people use Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can, like, I'm going to play one-on-one against LeBron James, and it says all things, and I'm claiming it, all things. I can beat LeBron James one-on-one because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want to get, get rich, so I want to be a billionaire by the time I retire, and I can do all things through Christ. So does all things really mean all things? Like you can do anything you want because he's strengthening you, or should we do what we do with every other verse in the Bible and look at it in its context? Probably we should look at it in its context, right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's jump back up to verse 11 to see the context. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So, so what you see in verses 11 and 12 is there's these extremes. That's not like anybody else's life. Like there's ups and there's downs. And Paul is describing his life. There are times where I've abounded. And there's times when I've been in deep need. There's times when I've had everything I need. And there's times when I've been hungry. Right? There's been good times and there's been bad times. And, and lest we think we have a roller coaster of a life, just recall what happens to the Apostle Paul. I'm excited. It would have been kind of cool to like take a break from this and, and preach now because we're starting. We, we've done Acts 1 through 12. So over the next weeks, we're going to do Acts 13 through 28. And really, Acts 13 through 28 chronicle the ups and downs of Paul's life, right? So I'd encourage you maybe as some, a way to prepare for next week and the weeks to follow, maybe just get back into the book of Acts this week. If you're like, well, I want to read the Bible, what am I supposed to read? Read Acts chapter 13 through 28, and you're going to see this. You're going to see the Apostle Paul's ups and downs. There were some uh, miraculous great works that God did in and through Paul in the book of Acts. And then, that's not all. In fact, he summarizes it to the church in Corinth. If you want to flip back a couple pages in your Bible, Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, starting right at the end of verse 23. This is Paul describing what his life has been like. Listen to this. this is, now remember, this is the guy who just said, I have learned to be content. How did he learn to be content? Listen to what happens here, the end of verse 23 in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. With far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, 
Dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. I guess my life ain't that bad, right? I mean, that's what Paul endured. So when he's talking about, I learned to be content, how does he learn? Notice that the word learn shows up twice in verses 11 to 12. It wasn't automatic. When Saul was on the road to Damascus and he's blinded and he's converted in that moment, he doesn't immediately become content with everything. Oh, I'm happy now. He becomes happy and content, has this inward sense of peace with what he has because he's learned it over time. Through things like that. So, 11, 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 27 help us to see that Paul's life didn't often go well. But God strengthened him to endure all of those things. To learn to be content in all of those things. So, I can do all things through him who strengthens me doesn't mean he, he, he has this nice, easy life and everything he puts his mind to he can be successful in, right? It means by God's strength he has learned to be content even when he's been beaten and stoned and imprisoned and adrift at sea. I wonder if there's any application in this for us. I think there is. Anybody else here need to learn to be content, or is it just me? Right? Anybody else here who readily admitted at the beginning of the message that I have everything I need plus more, but you're still kind of a whiner and a complainer? Anyone in here have a problem when things don't seem to be going your way? Well, it's not going my way. That's why I'm cranky. That's why, you know, whatever it might be. Anyone have a life of ups and downs? Maybe they weren't quite as extreme as Paul's, but... Man, you've had some tough times, some tough times emotionally, mentally, some tough times financially, relationally, some tough times medically, whatever it might be, some tough times vocationally at work. We've had tough times. Have we learned to be content? Maybe you farm, and that's a good way to learn to be content, isn't it? When, when does stuff that like when you want it to rain, it doesn't rain, and when you don't want it to rain, it you know like. And finally, praise God, yes, we got rain. But there was a long time this summer where we didn't. And so harvest is going to happen earlier. The crop's not going to be as good. That's why I love, if I was a farmer, Kirsten did this for her dad, uh, framed this for him. You, you, you looked at Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18 before. If you're a farmer, you should probably have this framed somewhere in your house. I love this. Talk about learning to be content. Here's what Habakkuk says. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. See, Habakkuk, too, has learned to be content. How do you learn that? Well, it's usually when there's no herd in the stalls and the rain's not coming and nothing's going the way you want it to. And I have every right to be angry and mad and complain is how we often think. Or do we trust that God can strengthen us to learn to be content? Listen to this. We learn to be content when things are taken away and we realize we're still okay. 
We learn to be content when things are taken away and we realize we're still okay. We would prefer not to learn contentment. We like if that was just like justification, that's a gift we just receive. Contentment is something that's learned over time. We would prefer to be content because we have everything. Like I mean, a lot of times that's the way. If we're honest, though, our minds work. Well, I'd be content if 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 only this, like if this worked out better, or if this happened the way I want, then I'd be content. But our Heavenly Father, who knows what we need, helps us to learn contentment by not giving us everything we want. Right? That's how Paul learned to be content. I don't think we're going to learn it any differently. We get to practice with things likely less extreme than what Paul endured. So this is something, actually, at the beginning, kind of, you know, like, we just had this three-week stretch that, man... uh, there was times we complained. It was tough. There was some tough stuff. We were quarantined, missed our vacation, all of that stuff. But at the beginning of that, uh, having studied ahead a little bit in Philippians, th- this is what we prayed, that we would learn to be content. God, would you, would you strengthen us to learn to be content? So when we went over this passage again last night in our family worship time, the kids recognized, hey, we just did that a, a few weeks ago. Yeah. And we're still learning right? What about you? What's, what's not working out the way you hoped? Is it possible that God is helping you to learn to be content and strengthening you for that? Content, by the way, just kind of means to be inwardly satisfied. And Paul mentions it a couple times. He says, whatever the situation and in any and every circumstance. So, uh, yeah, easy to be content when everything's going your way, but we learn to be content in any and every situation, and whatever the, cir- the, the circumstances. Right? All right. So Paul is content with whatever circumstance or situation, and he can be content, I think, because of what he lays out next. Because he trusts that God always provides. He's strengthened by God to learn to be content because he has learned that God always provides. And so look at verse 14. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. This is getting at how it is that God has provided for Paul. Remember, he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he said, it's kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So, so, God's provision for Paul has come oftentimes through these faithful partners in the gospel at the church in Philippi. They've given to him, and it seems like consistent, not just like one time, thanks for coming, a parting gift, but over and over again, once and again, as he's been in different locations, they've kept track of him, and they didn't have Uh, the technology that we have now to keep track of him, yet they kept track of him and figured out a way to partner with him. Regular, consistent, uh, generous giving towards Paul as part of their partnership in gospel ministry. God has provided, and God often provides for his people through his people. That's what happened for Paul. And then Paul kind of shifts to using some business language in verse 17. Verse 17 says this, not that I seek the gift, but so he's not like, it's not all about me getting money for like that's not what I'm about. But I seek the fruit that increases to your 
credit. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So, so it's almost like, I mean, if you can imagine like the stock market, right? It's like they're making an investment. And Paul is the one, like if, you're, if you have money in the stock market, like you're not running PepsiCo, right? Like you're not, you're not involved in that. You're just entrusting your money uh, to a board who is overseeing what that company does or, you know, whatever, co- whatever, you know, whatever you might be invested in, right? That's what they're doing. They're not on the ground planting churches and setting up elders and moving on to the next community. They're not doing exactly what Paul is doing, but they're partnering with him. And so he's saying, it's kind of like the fruit is increasing to your credit. Like, you invest, and that's coming back to your account in some way. So it's just using business language to express this partnership. That Paul couldn't be doing what he's doing if they weren't doing what they were doing. And there's fruit that's coming from it, even though they don't get to see it most of the time. But he says it's being credited to your account. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul's content, isn't he? When he's looking at them, he's like, man, if you guys just would have sent a little more, I could have, I could have been on a better ship that didn't crash. You know, like, would it, that way, that's not it. Man, he's just got a heart of thankfulness. God's provided, and he's just happy. I'm well supplied says the guy imprisoned in Rome, right? I am well supplied. I've received full payment and more. And he reminds them that I think God is pleased with your gift too. It's like a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to give consistently and generously. It's not like the church in Philippi was just filled with rich people who were just like, I don't know what to do with all this money. How about Paul? They're just throwing it like that. That's not the church in Philippi. Maybe Lydia, she was pretty rich it sounds like. But maybe not everybody else. Yet they are taking what they have, a sacrifice that's pleasing to God in order that the gospel might advance outside of their own location. God is pleased to provide for His people. His provision often comes through His people. And I love this promise in verse 19. Paul reminds the church of Philippi of this. Verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That'd be a good one to memorize too. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's a great promise. Not everything's gone smoothly for Paul. Not everything's gone smoothly for the church in Philippi, but Paul is still confident. (laughs) My God will supply for every one of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, if we're, if, we're, if we're receiving something from somebody else, somebody else is giving something to us, it requires them taking something out of their account, which makes their account a little bit smaller. That's not the way it works with our God. As he, as he gives generously to supply us with all of our needs, he's not like, uh-oh, account's getting low, right? That, that's not at all what he is like. His his riches are inexhaustible according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, it is good to know this, isn't it? That God will supply our every need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We're going to be fine. And, and to what end? Why, why does God do that? Look at verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. 
That's called a, a doxology. That's just an ascribing of praise and glory to whom it is due. The God who does all the providing, like I quoted from the beginning when Paul said to the church in Corinth, what do you have that you didn't receive? Right? The God who is our provider of everything we need and more, he is the one who deserves all of the glory, honor, and praise. So Paul includes that doxology. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's why Pastor Nick picked out, you know, we're, we're, we're singing songs like all glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. Right? All glory be to Him. Some application to close. In Jesus, we have all we need. I love this letter. <laughs> this is why I, I told you when we started it. Uh, this is like, I, I don't know how I got through eight and a half years of preaching before I got to this. I, I love this letter. God has used it in my life in so many ways, historically, and then just in the last weeks. And one thing I love about this letter is how Jesus is exalted through all of it. That in chapter one, <laughs> in chapter one, Paul says, listen, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> if I die and go to be with Jesus, that's better than anything here and now. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And then in chapter 2, he just exalts Jesus by saying, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then he says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then in chapter 3, in chapter 3, Paul says, I have all this stuff going for me. Here's my resume. And you know what? Garbage. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count it all rubbish and garbage. I love how this letter exalts Jesus. And he's doing it again when we get here to chapter 4. Exalting Jesus above everything. In Jesus, we have all we need. Paul is content because he has Jesus and there's nothing else that he needs. So a very basic, uh, but one of the most important questions I could ask you is just this. Have, have you received Jesus? Have you received Jesus? Let me tell you this. Your contentment will never last without him. Whatever you're chasing, whatever you're thinking that is going to make life happy and fulfilling, whatever you're chasing apart from Christ, you might or might not get there. I don't know. And I can guarantee you this, that your contentment will last about a minute and your suffering will be eternal apart from Christ. Ooh. Right? Do, do, you, do you believe that? Like that That's... That's what Scripture teaches. I think like when we look at our life here and we look at all of eternity, what we're living here is a minute. And you might get to the point where you feel content for like a minute. But apart from Christ, you will suffer eternally because we have offended Him. Our sins are a record against us. Like, so, so, so we need what Christ has done to be applied to us so that we can experience something different than what we deserve. We sing songs 
that make the gospel clear. So earlier we sang this. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give, right? Not like, not like we're still owed something else. Like, God, you owe me a little more than that. Remember what it says in Romans chapter 8. For God, who did not spare his own son, but willingly gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, right? In Christ, we have everything we need. He is my joy, my righteousness, my freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. Apart from Christ, you don't get any of that that lasts for any amount of time. So to this I hold. My hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine. I can sing all is mine, not I though, but through Christ in me. And if you have received Christ, your joy, your contentment, your rejoicing is an eternal thing. That's why we also sing this verse, no fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. Is this you? Like if this isn't you, let's talk. There's nothing like... You got lunch, we'll have lunch later. That's not a big deal. Let's talk even before you leave today. If you can't say, no fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future, sure. The price, it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. That's good news. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing, I am free. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. That's the gospel. In Christ, God has given us all we need. And we see that so clearly in this letter of Philippians. In Jesus, we have all we need. Final point is this. When we have received, we're motivated to give. We see that, I think, pretty clearly throughout this letter as well. When we have received, we're motivated to give. That's what motivated the church in Philippi to give. That's what motivated Paul to give up everything for the sake of knowing Christ, that others might know him as well. Their giving was consistent. Their giving was generous. I'm thankful that that's what happens in our church. I don't know what anybody individually gives, but I can just look at the budget and stuff overall, that, that our church has been, I think, consistent and generous. And I'm thankful for that. There's a whole lot of work that needs to be done here in the Iowa Falls area. Some of that work requires money. Thanks for paying me. I'm going to be one of those people like Paul who's thankful. One of the ways that God's provided for our family. We have two jobs between the five of us, but both of them are at the church, right? It, like, we, we, we don't have anything, any income apart from what you give. So thank you uh, for that. I want to be thankful alongside Paul. And, and there's so much else that the church, uh, as, as you give, that we are sending uh, money to partners who are using that money for the advance of the gospel here locally through like juvenile justice ministries at the state training school, right? Through Wings of Refuge, through the Lighthouse Center of Hope, and then globally uh, with Mandy uh, over in Romania, with Rich and Susan stationed here for now as they, as they train and coach church planters all throughout Europe, through Mary Beth and Bio in Nigeria, right? All these different places. Like, I can't go. They probably don't even really need me with my, right? But they need those people, and those are the right people that God has called at that time. And so we want to just faithfully partner with them. Consistent, generous giving, sacrificial, pleasing to God, because we believe that in Jesus we have enough. And one of the ways that we convince ourselves that in Jesus we have enough 
is this stuff of, of, of earth that starts to have a grip on us. We just loosen our grip by getting rid of it, <laughs> right? Just, we're going we're gonna to use this for the sake of the gospel. That doesn't mean we're, we're unwise. Like we're not just throwing it around. But what we're thinking through, how can this money be leveraged for the sake of the gospel? That's what we do when we have received much. When we have been convinced that if we have Jesus and nothing else, we have everything we need. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the good news that you have given us your Son. For any who have not yet received Jesus, I pray um, that there would be enough uh, stirring in their heart, a work of your Holy Spirit that would cause them uh, maybe to even just come and, and talk uh, with, with somebody at the end of the worship service before they even leave. And for all of us who have had this privilege of receiving Christ, of now belonging to you, I pray that you would, inc- you would, you would uh, help us more and more to really believe what we're just about to sing. That nothing else satisfies only you, Lord. That you would be our best thought by day or by night. That we would be able to say, I don't want riches or man's empty praise because you're my inheritance now and always. That you and you only would be the first in my heart. That you would be our greatest treasure. That's the way we want to live. Worshiping you in a song right now, but worshiping you throughout the week. Learning what it looks like to be content. Learning what it looks like to treasure you above anything and everything else.